0: What happens when you put two experts behind mics to match wits on the current state of financial services, the economy, investments, and more? From the American College of Financial Services, this is Wealth Managed.
1: Welcome to Wealth Managed. I'm Michael Finca, a professor of wealth management at the American College.
0: And I'm David Blanchett, head of retirement research for PGM, which is the investment management company of
1: Prudential. David, we saw an article this week in the Wall Street Journal that talked about the 4% rule, actually began to acknowledge some of the risks of the 4% rule. Maybe it's not quite as appropriate as it used to be. And let's think about what the 4% rule is meant to do. It's meant to give retirees a guideline about how much they can safely spend when they retire. So if you follow the 4% rule, you've got a million bucks saved for retirement, you can spend $40,000 the first year. Um, If inflation goes up by 2%, you can spend $40,800 the second year, et cetera. So really, it's meant to provide a guideline about how much you can safely spend in retirement. And a lot of financial advisors follow the 4% rule. Now you may get a client who reads that Wall Street Journal article and says, well, what happens if I run out? What happens if I spend $40,000 the first year? And I, I try to keep that up every year. And what happens if the markets fall, especially early on in retirement? And by the time I hit age 85, I'm out of money. And then the advisor says, well, you're going to be fine. Historically, if we looked at US data, then you know, you know, I feel perfectly comfortable that you can spend that amount of money every year in retirement. And so then the client says, will you guarantee it? Will you back that up? Will you continue to make those income payments to me if I run out of money? And the financial advisor will say, no, I, I'm not going to provide that guarantee. And if the advisor has a parent firm, are they going to provide that guarantee? They will not. So what that means is that it is a suggestion about what a safe lifestyle could be in retirement, but it exposes the retiree to the risk that if they live too long or if markets don't perform well, they may have to cut back on their spending or they might eventually run out of money. There is no back-end guarantee. David, will anybody provide that guarantee that if you spend a certain amount of money every year in retirement, they'll provide a backstop. They'll continue to make those income payments. Gosh, you know, it
0: sounds like that's where insurance companies can come in, right? Where they can they can guarantee some amount of income for as long as you live. And I think that to your point, you know, I think a lot of the strategies that advisors recommend to clients aren't fundamentally longevity protected right? They are protected to some extent from the market, but that's not the biggest risk that most people face. I think that if you talk about what risk is, risk is living to age 100, 105 from a retirement funding perspective and the implications of that. I think that a a problem, though, is that this is probably to your point, is that a lot of advisors don't actively recommend longevity protected products to their clients. They focus on investment-only strategies that exposes them to this longevity risk. I think that one thing that is kind of excited right now is, is a growing type of product and solutions that advisors may find more attractive, like contingent deferred annuities or a CDA. Do you want to uh, define a CDA for the audience?
1: Yeah. So, so actually CDAs are not completely new and they do resemble other types of annuity products, but they are completely disentangled from the investment portfolio so you have an investment portfolio that you manage but you're buying insurance to make sure that the income that you can derive from that investment portfolio will not stop so you're buying portfolio income insurance now you have to pay for that It's a reason why a financial advisor is not going to provide that guarantee to you, because it's expensive to provide that guarantee. If I had to provide that to all of my clients, that if they ran out, I would provide the backstop, I'd have to set aside a certain amount of money and probably have to invest it in relatively conservative assets to make sure that there was a, a pool available. To fund my clients who ran out of money, I might even get a little fancy and buy some financial options. So I might buy some put options on the S and P five hundred because you're probably going to run out if the S and P does really poorly. I might buy some interest rate swaps. You know, I, these are things that I might do to be able to create a hedging strategy that would allow me to provide that insurance protection. But it's not efficient for me to run it. It's actually way more efficient for an insurance company to run it because if they need that protection, then it would be great for the insurance company who has people who are experts at buying options and managing a general account portfolio and recognizing what some of these, you know, it's, it's a very, talk to me about this very specific type of risk, right? Because it's not just longevity risk. It is, it is the combination of, portfolio, and longevity risk?
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't need to use options and all that jazz technically. I think that the key, right, is, is that if you think about for any kind of uh, you know lifetime income annuity to truly pay out, right, two things have to happen, right? The first is your portfolio has to go to zero and you have to still be alive, right? So for most people, that isn't going to be an issue. Most people are not going to live a long time and have their portfolio become void depleted. So, you know, I don't know what that number is. We can just pick one and say that it's 10% of people, whatever else it is. But that is where this longevity protection becomes so valuable. And I think that one thing that that excites me about this concept of CDAs is that, is that you know you can kind of build whatever an advisor or you know advisor company or whomever wants right? I mean, technically, uh, you know, if we think about annuities right now, whether it's an immediate annuity or a DLWB or all these other, other fun kinds, you can do kind of all of that in a sense in the CDA environment. So it's really just kind of a, a different account structure where it's wrapping the advisor's current portfolio. So it allows them to kind of figure out how they want to invest the money, obviously cert- based upon certain restrictions, based upon the underlying longevity strategy, but it and then enables them to kind of provide travel co- insurance or you know portfolio insurance for them I mean, that they just cannot fundamentally you know protect for their clients, which is the risk about living their money if, if they live a long time and markets don't
1: behave well. So one of the points that I think you were making is that if I have this protection, then it's not just protecting me against running out of money, it is preserving my ability to spend early on in retirement no matter what happens with financial markets. So what does that mean? If, you, if I start out with a million bucks the first year, I'm in a 50-50 portfolio, we, we experience a 2008 kind of event, I go from having a million dollars to having $700,000 in my portfolio, Normally, what I would do at that point, if I'm still following something that's like the 4% rule, I might have to cut my spending down from $40,000 to $28,000. Because if I just would have waited a year to retire, I would have started out at $28,000. That's another aspect of the 4% rule that I think people don't acknowledge enough. It is that you have to acknowledge you know, if reality changes, you have to adjust with it. And so if you go from a million to seven hundred thousand dollars, you can't just say, well, the markets are probably going to rebound because they went down by you know 50% my first year of retirement. No, if you would have just waited a year to retire and you would have shown up with $700,000 and you would have followed the 4% rule, you would be spending $28,000 that year. So you spent $40,000 the first year because you had a million dollars, but that's not reality anymore. You need to adjust to reality. With a contingent deferred annuity or something that has sort of a that has some sort of a lifetime income benefit, you can continue to pull out money The same amount of money the second year and the same amount of money the third year. And yet you continue to receive that income protection. Now you have to pay for that protection. Nobody is going to provide that protection for free. So a certain percentage is withdrawn from your investment portfolio. And if your portfolio gets hammered the first few years of retirement, what's going to happen to you, David?
0: Yeah, so I mean, by definition, if you overlay any kind of reasonable cost of insurance on top of a portfolio, the portfolio will deplete faster. Right. So that's kind of the trade off that you make when you think about really any kind of insurance on top of a traditional portfolio. It will deplete faster. Right. But in theory that once it's depleted, you should still receive some kind of income benefit for life. Now. I think what that is uh, can vary wildly by product. You know, We've seen some out there where the, the minimum income changes when the portfolio is depleted. I think we've seen some that have the possibility of income that will even rise after the fact. And so I think that, that the key, right, is being comfortable with this idea of faster depletion, but knowing that once it's depleted, you'll still receive income for as long as you're alive.
1: So let's take a step back and think, if you do not have an insured portfolio, What does your life look like in retirement? Your life looks like you either try to spend the same amount of money every year and ignore what's going on in financial markets and ignore how long you're living. That's not a great way to live. You're going to get nervous. Financial markets are going to go down. If they do go down and the returns on your investments are a lot less than expected, then you're gonna be in a position where you have a relatively high probability that you're going to run out. So you have to be realistic about the idea that when you take investment risk, that also means taking spending risk. You have to be flexible about the amount of money that you can spend. If assets go up, then you can spend more. If the markets go down, then you can spend less. So the spending path with some sort of insurance is really what makes it more attractive is that it it narrows the spending paths from a volatile portfolio. Right, I mean your portfolio based upon again like the the CDA or type
0: could have just as volatile returns, but the income that you're going to spin off from that is to your point by definition more compressed. So you have you could have just as much or more, you know, you could say like portfolio volatility, but the income is 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 obviously where the
1: safety is. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Deliver
0: financial planning for every person and every need through our chartered financial consultant education program. Find the tools and skills you need at theamericancollege.edu chfc.
1: The American College Center for Women in Financial Services is building our community and we want to share stories of success with you. I'm Lindsay Lewis, the host of the Women Working in Wealth podcast. Join us as we speak with women from all across the industry to explore career opportunities, dispel myths, and see how personal journeys lead to achieving career goals. Listen to all the episodes at theamericancollege.edu forward slash podcasts. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review together, we can break the bias. Welcome back. Let's continue where we left off. Let's talk about why you take risk in the first place. You take risk in the first place with your investments so that if you get lucky, if investments do really well, you can increase your lifestyle, you can have more money to pass on after you die. Now, what we're really focused on here is that downside of taking investment risk. And what explain to the audience here, the, the vast audience of thousands, what, what is the sequence of return risk concept? And how do you explain that simply to a client? Thousands. I thought we had like millions of listeners. So maybe we should kind of reframe that.
0: Um, I mean, sequence risk has been around like the concept for decades. It's just simply the fact that, that the returns you experience when you first retire have the largest impact on your eventual success or failure, right? Once you, once you have a portfolio, and you begin pulling money from it, um, you can't get that money back. And so if you happen to kind of enter retirement during a, a, a market downturn, which I think is, is very possible right now, that has a, a significantly you know, greater impact than if you have great returns or worse returns you know, at, at year 29 or 30. So I think that's a problem that's difficult to deal with for retirees, which is you don't know what the market's going to do when you first retire.
1: And and let's talk about the, the, the fundamentals of what a CDA is. How does it actually work? So, you have an investment portfolio of stocks and bonds, and then you pay a percentage of that portfolio as the cost of insurance to provide that lifetime income protection. So, it may be one and a half, it may be 2%. And, and I think that what makes the CDA different is that you are managing that investment portfolio. You can do things like be a little bit more tax efficient about how you withdraw money from that investment portfolio. What are some of the differences besides tax efficiency? Because in many cases, a variable annuity in a in a taxable account for taxable investments is not necessarily the most tax efficient way to generate income, as opposed to generating income from an investment portfolio. That is one particular advantage. I think for people who are used to managing assets, they like the idea of having that tax flexibility. They like the idea of having a separate portfolio of stocks and bonds, uh, and then giving the client the ability to check a box and say, I want to spend One and a half percent per year to fund insurance that will provide that guarantee that I can maintain that lifestyle throughout retirement. What are some of the differences between a CDA and a traditional type of variable annuity with an income benefit?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the answer to that question, like every question in this business, is it depends. To me, from you know, when I think about the benefits, why I think advisors can and should gravitate towards CDAs in the future is that it's it's still going to be your portfolio. Again, based upon what the insurance is, it could limit things, but right now if you want to get insurance, a guaranteed lifetime insurance, you've got to move assets, you know, to the insurance company. You've got to use their investments. In this environment, it remains with your custodian, you're still doing all the work. This insurance sits on top of that. So I think that that alone will make it a lot more attractive to advisors because they can build the portfolios they were before they have the same level of oversight versus having to kind of move the assets to a
1: third party. And there's a lot of transparency there with the contingent deferred annuity. With a variable annuity, there can be mortality expenses and mutual fund expenses that the advisor feels like they don't have a whole lot of control over. With a the CDA, they get to control the asset portion and then they can charge even an AUM on the assets while still providing that portfolio protection element. And I'm relatively new to this concept, but I think you have done some simulations on the value of this particular type of annuity. And I think what makes it so attractive, even compared to some things that I love, like a deferred income annuity, providing that longevity protection later on in life, this can actually be more efficient than even a deferred income annuity because it allows you to spend more it allows you to take a certain amount of investment risk and it only pays off if you need it if you have that combination of low investment returns and a high lifespan I think you know one of the benefits of some of the more you could say
0: modern structures like GLWBs or you know more of the Tontine-like approaches that are being introduced right now is that it really can lead to meaningfully more income than the more kind of traditional conservative strategies like SPIAs and DIAs. I think that that there's different underlying economics there for insurance companies. There's different behavioral benefits for retirees and that they have access to those monies. And so I think that longer term, a lot of the products that we see retirees gravitating towards, which again is not really SPIAs and DIAs, actually have the potential to generate a lot more income than these more traditional approaches.
1: So explain to us a little bit about how income rises with this type of a product.
0: So, you know, again, it depends. I think that the one thing that, that has been different to say today or recently versus say in the past is there's a, a much wider range of products being introduced where the nature with which that income changes in retirement is very different than say, maybe what the products looked like maybe 10 years ago, which were predominantly GLWBs. But today you've got products where, you know, if it is a GLWB, the income um, increases, assuming that you have a new high watermark but a lot of products don't even offer those and so i think that you know a lot of the a lot of the attributes that you or i would attach to these products 5 or 10 years ago don't exist in some products and so i think that the, the, the problem for consumers right now is that it can be it can be very difficult to understand the benefits of these but i mean high level how it works effectively is that you know if the product has a positive return potentially you have the possibility for more income
1: So if you start out retirement with a million dollars, you get lucky, the market does well, you move up to one and a half million dollars, you can receive an increase in the amount of income that is guaranteed from that portfolio every year.
0: Potentially, but there are products now that don't do high watermarks in retirement. They only do high watermark at retirement. Even if the portfolio rises in value, they will not increase your
1: income amount. So- Obviously, there are different types. You know, it, it seems very complex in the way that it's structured. Now, another benefit of a CDA is if you if you go from one million dollars to two million dollars, if the stock market goes gangbusters at the beginning of retirement, you may decide you don't need the insurance anymore because the likelihood that you can't withdraw your desired lifestyle from two million dollars is so remote. That you decide you don't need the insurance so the insurance provides a lot of value when you need the protection i think a great example of this is like liability insurance on a car so if i have comprehensive insurance on a car. If I have you know, $100 million, I don't need comprehensive insurance on my car anymore because I can withstand getting into a car wreck and losing a $50,000 car. It's not a big deal. The same thing with a portfolio. If my portfolio gets large enough, I know I can continue to maintain the lifestyle that I want to live in retirement. don't need the insurance anymore. I can then drop it at that point. So that flexibility is, I think, an interesting a- aspect of the CDA. In addition to whatever the ratcheting rules are, by which your income, your minimum guaranteed income increases when your portfolio size increases. And I I agree with you that it changes with every different type of product. So you really have to understand those characteristics before you commit to something like this. But again, with a CDA, it's just a a commitment, but you can pull out of it when you want to pull out of it. And I think it also helps advisors redefine this idea of what is an annuity. A lot of them have a very negative perception of annuities in general. But when you really get it right down to it, and you focus on the annuity as being the pure insurance element. Do I want to buy that pure insurance element or not? In many cases, clients would be better off if you bought that insurance element. The optimal amount that they could withdraw from their investment portfolio every year is higher, and they can do it with less anxiety. And we have found in our own research that, yeah, people will actually spend more. They'll live better. So if the goal of that money is lifestyle, then buying some sort of portfolio insurance should allow them to optimally spend more than they could if they were uninsured. And that's really the point of buying insurance is to you know if I have a house and I don't have homeowners insurance, I'm going to behave differently than if I do have homeowners insurance, I'm going to light a candle you know for, for my birthday. I, whereas if I didn't have homeowners insurance, I would behave differently. That's the benefit of insurance and portfolio insurance exists and it's probably something that we need to consider.
0: this is Chris, one of the producers of the podcast. What's the advantage of an advisor selling these products? Is there any a transaction? Do they make any money? Is it just still all assets under
1: management? So I think this is a fantastic question, Chris. Why would a financial advisor provide this kind of income protection? And even if they don't, you know, it's going to cost them money in the long run because it's going to take from their AUM every year, it's going to be a leakage, a small leakage. But they always have an answer for their clients when the clients are worried about potentially running out. And they can say that they offer this protection where other financial advisors do not offer their clients this protection. And I think finally, there is the F word, right? That you know, a lot of advisors who charge assets under management are technically fiduciaries. And if you're a fiduciary and you don't offer your client the ability to protect their portfolio from running out of income, then are you truly a fiduciary?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say a few things. I think one, these are strategies that clients don't usually find on their own. They're going to be available probably in increasing number of, of 401k plans, but even then unless it's part of like a default investment you're probably not going to actively select it I think advisors can play a valuable role here because they can it can help someone understand the value of the benefit and you know for advisors to Michael's point it's more than just you know it, yes it's true it does reduce the portfolio a little faster but it, it provides this kind of behavioral protection that you can't get from a traditional portfolio so I mean I, I view it as a way to to keep clients invested when markets are in turmoil it's a way to keep you know, sticky relationships for clients over time. So I really do believe that it does create a more meaningful retirement strategy and that advisors that are doing this should see better retirement outcomes for their clients and have sticky relationships.
1: And that's a great point, David, that you could actually take more optimal equity risk when you have this kind of protection. And ultimately, you may end up having more assets under management because you can take that risk.
0: I'm 60 years old. Do I start paying my one and a half percent tomorrow if I want to buy these? You can. Oh, so the, again, there's there's lots of different kinds here that exist. I think that it you know I think like the optimal one for you, it would depend upon your facts and circumstances, It depends upon you know what your overall retirement strategy is. I would say 60 is definitely the right time to be thinking about this because you know as we talked about before, you are kind of at risk for a bad sequence of returns, right? And certain strategies out there that exist would kind of ensure that if you have that really bad initial return, you can still get a meaningful income from your portfolio for life.
1: So on that, David, I'm Michael Finca. Thank you for being with us today. I'm David Blanchett. See you later.
0: For more episodes and shows, visit theamericancollege.edu slash podcasts. Wealth Managed is a production of the American College of Financial Services.